All right, y'all, if you wouldn't mind um, grabbing your Bibles and open them to the second chapter of Colossians. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 23. And if you mind, if you, when you get there in, in the Word, if you would stand out of reverence for God's Word as we get the joy to just dive into this morning together. So let me read the text for us this morning. Paul writes uh, in Colossians 2, starting in verses 16, he says, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you but by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm, Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Verse 19. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to such regulation? Just don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value of curbing. They are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. And this morning I want to preach on the idea from the text here of, of freedom to hold on to our glorious hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are our glorious hope, Lord. God, we thank you that you have accomplished what you have accomplished through the plan of redemption through your son, Jesus, God. That you have had this plan down and you have accomplished these things on our behalf, God. I pray that this morning as we get to dive into your word together, Lord, that we will see your beauty and your purpose, Lord. God, we need to hear from you. We need your words. We need your wisdom, not mine, God. Lord, I pray that you will be glorified this morning. Lord, give me help and clarity in speech and in thought. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So where we find ourselves this morning in, in, in Colossians <clears throat> is, is really, as you notice in, in verse 16, it says, therefore. So we, we find ourselves right on uh, the backside of, of, of what our brother Chris preached last week. So we're kind of dealing with some uh, practical outworkings and implications of, of the, the truth that um, Chris brought us last, uh, last week. Yeah, it was last week. Um, so Paul is kind of pr- providing us a structure of, with those practical implications of what Jesus has done on our behalf, specifically in verse 15, he says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. So that's where we find ourselves. We're going to deal with some, uh, just some practical outworkings uh, uh, of because of what Christ has done on our behalf, now what? And that's a pretty good place to start. Because Christ has done this, what do we do now? But church, this should be the outlook of our daily lives. Right? That is how we live each day. Because Christ has done this, now what? And this is what Paul kind of helps us to see uh, here as we start in verse 16. And let me kind of, when I was thinking about this, uh, it just brought to mind um, just preparing. Um, 
for, for, for an event or for a game or whatever it is. And it made me think of like professional athletes, right? Like I don't know if you've ever heard of interviewers who will ask athletes, hey, what's your like pregame routine? Like do you have any superstitions of um, what you do before a game to get your head in the right space or, or to make sure that you can perform to your potential? Um, and by no means was I a professional athlete, but in high school I used to play soccer and there was one thing that I always did. I don't know why, I just thought I'd score a goal if I did it. Um, I would always do left sock, right sock, left shin pad, right shin pad, left, left boot, left cleat, and then right. You see, we, but in reality, it really didn't matter in what order I put my, my socks or my shoes on. You see, it, it didn't really matter what I did right before, because what mattered, especially for professional athletes, as much as I like to think that I, when I was little I could have been a professional athlete, like, y'all just know they're on a whole different level. Like, there's just a gifting that they have where it's like, most of our kids are like, y'all want to be a professional athlete? And we're just like, yeah, you could do it, but, you know. So, but also, encourage your kids. If that's what they want to go for, that's what's up. But I'm just saying, it's just a whole other level. And yes, hard work does pay off, but it's just a whole other level. So what, is, what really matters is the gifting that they have been given. It's not about their superstitions or what it is. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. We have been given the gift of all the things that human traditions and human doctrines demand of us. Christ has fulfilled that for us. So it's not about anything else other than what Christ has done for us. So let's dive into verse 16. It starts with the therefore. So anytime you all know there's a therefore, what's the therefore therefore? And like I said in verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. So the therefore means because Christ did that, what does verse 16 say? Don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. So this brings me to my first point. Free from judgment and our glorious hope. So Paul explains that Jesus has lordship over every ruler and authority, especially in the context of, of these Colossian teachers who were really just given heretical teachings to the body. And it looks like he gives us a little insight on it. They were caring deeply about this food and drink. Now, our mind goes to, usually when we hear food and drink, it'll go back to Old Testament law, right? What is clean and unclean? Um, but that's actually not what some commentators think that, that the Colossian teachers are, are bringing. They're just telling them, don't eat this or don't drink that. Stay away from this or stay away from that. And then he, he goes on in verse 16, or in the matter of a festival or a new moon. And you're all like, dang, they were celebrating Halloween too? Is Halloween tomorrow? It's like, no, it's not, it's not Halloween. It's not Halloween. But what... There you go. Yeah, All Hallows Eve. Either way. Yeah, it's close. It is close. Uh, that's okay. It's totally fine. You can talk to me. It's okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, so it's a, and it's a matter of these new moons and these festivals uh, as well as a Sabbath day. So these are events that just happen in the Jewish calendar. So um, for new moons or, or, or festival feasts, Numbers 10.10 10 gives us a little context of what is going on here. 
Listen to Numbers 10.10. 10. It says, You are to sound the trumpets, trumpets over your burnt offerings and sacrifices on your joyous occasions. Your appointed festivals at the beginning of each of your months. They will serve as a reminder before your God. I am the Lord your God. So this is a festival or a Sabbath to where um, Israel is going to share a meal together. And it's going to be for the purpose to remind them of who their God is. But what we see the problem here is, because there's, what's wrong with that, right? But what we see the problem here is, is there's a little bit of mysticism cre- creeping in here for, from the, the, the Colossians. The Colossian teachers, let me say. They're bringing in some, maybe some type of, um, uh, maybe like some, um, like uh, astronomy type deal of, of the new moons and some, and some mysticism to be brought in to be celebrated. So that's, that's where the problem is. And then there we move to a Sabbath day. And, you know, and my first thought was like, you know, Pastor Michael just did a whole sermon series on Sabbath. So I'm going to go ahead and let you know if you think that you don't have to heed that just because he's gone, I'm going to tell on you when he gets back. All right? So that is not Paul saying that we don't have to observe a Sabbath and that we don't have to rest. But what it is is that these Colossian teachers, it's not even necessarily that what they are teaching about is wrong. It is how they are teaching it. They are teaching it as if it is a matter of orthodoxy or faithfulness. You must not drink this. You must not taste this. You must do this on the new moon. You must do this on the Sabbath to be a faithful Christian. But what did Paul just tell us in chapter 2, verse 8? Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. See, that's the problem. These teachings aren't based on Christ. They are based on the elements and the teachings of the world. But didn't Paul just tell us, don't let them judge you in regards to that. Why? Therefore, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. So Paul is calling them not to be re-yoked to those things because Christ has freed them from that. He wants them to live freely in Christ and what he has accomplished on, on their behalf. You see, Paul isn't, Paul isn't telling them to, to, to stop them from judging. He is telling them, don't let anyone judge you. They don't need to heed the judgment from, anyone, in, from these teachers, because why? I'm telling you, what, what Chris preached when he brought up 1 John 4, 18, that says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. So the one who fears is not complete in love. I had never heard that text. I don't know if I just learned my Bible well enough, but I had never heard that text in the context of judgment from God. That was a paradigm shift. That was so powerful because that gives, that gives structure and weight to what Paul is saying. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you because you're not going to be judged by God for abstaining from these things, for not listening to these heretical teachers because they're not based in Christ. And because Christ has freed you from that, where is the judgment? Do you see that? Does that make sense? That's at the heart of what Paul is getting at. Because, like I said, those things were good in their place. They were meant to point them to Jesus, to the coming of Christ. But now, since Christ has fulfilled that, he is what we need. 
Listen to, listen to this commentator. I, forgive me, I, I can't remember his name, and I should have wrote it down because I had time to write it down. So I know you'll never hear this, brother, but we appreciate you. He says, when speaking in regards to verse 15, Christianity is too free and exuberant to be trained down to times and seasons. And this is, this is, this is so good. Its feast is daily. For every day is holy. Its moon never wanes. Its serene tranquility is an unbroken Sabbath. That is so good. Because in the context of that, there's still struggle here, right? There's still struggle. There's still hardship. There's still, there's still losses. Paul's in prison when he's writing this. But the treasure is Christ. That is what makes every day a feast, because we have Christ. That's what makes every day holy, is because it is to be lived for Christ. So again, before we move to verse 17, Paul is just urging the, Col- the faithful believers at Colossae, that he calls them in chapter 1, to not let them be judged, but to hold on to Christ, and to not be re-yoked to these things that they don't need anymore. And to hopefully help you see this, um, everyone always said kids are so good for sermon illustrations. They really are. They really are. So let me give you one here. So my daughter, Wren, has this really cute, is it like a romper or would you call it like a, the pink one? Like a romper? Okay. Um, so she has this really cute romper and it's got like these, it's just, uh, goes over her head, it's got two armholes and it's just kind of like a dress, like a romper. You know what a romper is. You know what a romper is. So, <clears throat> Yeah, <laughs> brother, brother, that's all I got. Um, so, but when, when Megan and I take that off of her to change her or whatever it is, she really loves to try and put whatever we have taken off of her just right back on her, right? But what she doesn't understand is that we either have something better that is coming for her, whether that be a nap or a new shirt or whatever it is, one that's clean uh, and, and it's better, so what she does is she tries to pick that up and she tries to put that back on. And she succeeds a little bit, but she just gets the armholes over her head. She just gets them over her head and they get stuck on her neck. And then she ends up pulling, trying to pull it off, and then she asks for help. You see, what I'm getting at with this is Christ has already taken these things off of the Colossian believers. And these teachers are trying to make these things a matter of orthodoxy and faithfulness and it's not really working. Because they're trying to put it back on, and as we'll see later, it's causing them to be unspiritual because instead of becoming a, something that was pointing them to Christ, it's becoming a snare and making them miss Christ. And just with my sweet little Wren, she's not seeing what I have for her next, whether that be a nap or a nice shirt that smells better that doesn't have applesauce or whatever it may be on it. She's not seeing what comes next. So let's look at verse 17 in light of that. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Amen. That is so good for us. All these things were just a shadow. I'm not sure about you, but I've never depended on a shadow before. Might be different for Peter Pan, but, but Christ is the real substance. You see, when someone's hungry, 
We don't give them an idea or a shadow of food. When someone, ne- someone needs something, we don't give them an idea of the hope that they need. If they need money for bills or whatever it may be, whatever you need in your life right now, I'm just going to tell you, whatever that shadow is, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. But Christ will. And that's what Paul is trying to tell the Colossian believers here. The substance is in Christ. And praise God that because of Christ, we are freed from those expectations and we get to delight in our glorious hope. You see, that's the answer to the judgment. Don't let anyone judge you how. Because of our Christian liberty to love and enjoy Christ. That is how. He is the focus. He is the object of our hope. Because Christ has accomplished it for us. Now, I believe as we discuss Christian liberty, I think it's helpful just so we can define some terms here. So let me define Christian liberty for you as Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you do everything for the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So I don't know about you, but when I was writing this sermon, when I was thinking of Christian liberty, my thought was, what do I get to do? Right? What do I get to do that may be somewhat controversial in the life of other, excuse me, in the life of other believers who may not feel the same way. Like, I went, to a, I went to a Bible college, so I was always drinking. That was the idea. That was how Christian liberty was really discussed was, hey, when you graduate, are you going to drink or not? I'm not saying that's bad. We have to, that's not bad. We have to consider those things. But see, true Christian liberty is not just about what we get to do in the sense of enjoying these physical things or these physical experiences, whatever that looks like. And let me be very clear. In every aspect of our life, Paul tells us that if it is not done in faith, it is sin. Right? But true Christian liberty is the liberation from the law in which we could never keep. It is liberation from all that we could not do And especially in the fact that it is liberation from the fact that we could not sin or could not not sin. What I mean by that is that before our liberty and what Christ has accomplished, we would always choose sin. But now since we have been filled with the power of the Spirit and because Christ has accomplished what we never could accomplish, Christian liberty is truly defined in that we get to enjoy and delight and to love Jesus. That is true Christian liberty. So with that being said, faithfulness to any human tradition has no say or weight in your holiness. What does have a say in our holiness? Christ's righteousness. That's exactly what it says. And before we move on, let me be another thing that I was thinking through as writing this. Is your Christian liberty is not concerned just about you. Your Christian liberty is concerned with the other people that are sitting in this room right now. It's not just about us. Christian liberty is something that is to be enjoyed as we get to delight in God together. It is community-based. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. 
Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. Church, that's one of the worldly philosophies that has creeped into the church today that Paul even warned the Colossians in verse 2.8. You know what that is? It's, hey, you do you and just let me do me. You do you, I'll let you do you, you do your thing. Church, we need each other. I need you to help me to hold on to the glorious hope of Jesus Christ. I need you. We need each other. So let me ask you this. What mere shadows or human traditions or doctrines are you depending on? What people... What organization, what idea of do you think, what idea of your righteousness other in Christ that you are depending on? Because it's going to, one day it's just not going to work. Our hope is in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. So Christ has made us free to enjoy and pursue him. As we look at the next two verses, it brings me to my next, my next point. This is verses 18 through 19. And it's freedom to hold on, to be held on to by our glorious hope. Freedom to be held on to by our glorious hope. Let me read verse 18. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. And we see another issue Paul is addressing in which um, basically almost in every sermon this has been brought up. So it's, it's a big theme in the book of Colossians of asceticism. Uh, and Chris helped us with a definition. Um, I didn't go to asceticism for dummies though. Uh, but we appreciate that, brother. Uh, so it's, just a, it's a very simple definition. I just want to hit on it quickly. Severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence. So that's what's being pressed on the Colossian believers here. But Paul doesn't give us, you know, super, or a lot of clarity in what they're calling them to abstain from. We're not sure if they were physically harming themselves in regards to this, but I'll give you a little sneak peek in verse 23. Paul gives us an insight on why that they were doing it, why they were practicing these things. It was to curb self-indulgence. And we'll get to that later. But it just helps us with a little bit of, of context of, of what he's, he's discussing. Either way, whatever he's calling the Colossian believers to abstain from, Paul's pointing out their error. And, and instead of, it moves from judgment but to condemnation from these, from these teachers in regards to the Colossian believers. Again, Paul is pointing towards the fact that the people that are teaching these things are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. Because they claim, as you'll see in verse 18, they're worshiping angels. And they're claiming to have some type of access to this visionary realm, whether that's communication with, with angels or, or, or with other type of spirit realm. But they are um, they're claiming access to, to be able to have these visions and it's causing them to you know, walk into whatever their church service looked like or their gatherings or, or just daily life with a little weight about them. They're puffed up by their mind and, the, and, and these claims. 
They're becoming prideful uh, in their error because it, they have an appearance of extra spiritual, of, of a spiritual elite. They can do all these things that these other people are not having access to, and it's becoming a snare. But how did they get there? How did they become unspiritual? How did they become puffed up? Verse 19 tells us. Let me read it into your hearing once more. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. So what's the problem? They're not holding on to the head. Okay, what does that mean? Colossians 1.18 in regards to Jesus. He is also the firstborn, the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he may come to have first place in everything. So who, who is the head of the church? It's Jesus. They stopped holding on to Jesus. Jesus became a teacher to them, not the teacher. The gospel became a message and not the message. This became words and not the word. That's what happened. Church, this is a warning to us. It is. Because we are foolish to think that that could not be us. We are foolish to think that that could not be us. Church, Jesus is to be first in our lives. When in Colossians 1.18, he may come to have first place in everything, that means also your life. Pastor Michael is always so helpful to remind us. Also, it's been a month. Isn't that crazy? It's been a month since he's been gone. Anyway, he's always so helpful to remind us. I can remember we walked through the book of Romans when I was in college together. Um, uh, we were in Romans 6, and we were talking about just being dead to sin and alive in Christ. And I just remember, and he reminds us often from the pulpit, Jesus is Savior, but he is also Lord. He is also the, the Lord over our life, church. And when we see where Christ has been removed as first priority in our life or uh, as, as first in the sense of who guides our lives and, and, and whose words have weight in our lives, we start to see things kind of falling apart. But also, before, before we move on, I do want to point out, we see that the whole body is nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons and that grows from God, right? So let me give you a little um, anatomy lesson this morning. So what are ligaments? They're fibrous tissue that attaches bone to bone and usually serves to hold structures together and keep them stable. What do tendons do? These fibrous tissue that connects muscle to bone, right? So we have ligaments that attaches bone to bone and keeps things stable. And then tendons are fibrous tissue that connects muscle to bone. I've only been alive 27 years, but I know that if I didn't have any ligaments or tendons, I wouldn't be moving. I wouldn't be growing. My body would be useless. I wouldn't be able to move at all. Church, this also has to call to our mind. Remember in 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul points out, for, the, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, though many are as one body, so also in Christ. He's calling us to know 
that these specific areas in, in ligaments and tendons are absolutely necessary to the body to function. But what's more importantly is that where do we grow from? Where does our growth come from? Because if we had ligaments and tendons, but we weren't growing, that would be a problem. We grow, number one, by holding on to the head. We hold on to the head of the church. We cling to Jesus. We cling to his words. We cling to his work. We cling to his authority. Secondly, as we hold on to our glorious hope, we hold on to one another. And sometimes we pull people along. And sometimes we need to be pulled along. Megan and I and Ren last night, we did something that we usually don't do. um, And we skipped out on Ren having a later bedtime. And we went and actually we got to see, um, it was really cool. We got to see the Louisville Orchestra play a a free show at the California California Community Center. Um, It was really interesting. I've never been to like an actual orchestra performance before. And I just couldn't help but think as I watched Teddy Abrams as he conducted the orchestra. And it was just such a picture of how Christ loves and leads his church. It was, I'm telling you, it was, it was like kind of weird. Like his body was contorting as he was directing. And he was like, I mean, just doing all kinds of stuff. But what was so beautiful about it as his, you could hear him breathing. It was so intimate. But what was so beautiful about it is, as you have us as the winds, and that's all I remember is the wind section, but the different instruments here, the different instruments here and there, and these make different noises than those, and those make different noises than these. But as he was with them in the lows and the slow parts of the music where things are tranquil and things are going well and it sounds so nice and you could go to sleep to it, but he was also there with them, feeling what they were feeling and they were connected by the music when it started getting really rough and really hard. And it was so loud, you were just kind of like, I don't know about this one. But what the beauty of it is, is he was there with them in all of it. And not only was he there, but he was leading them to the next part. But what's even more beautiful about it is not only did those instruments here not sound like those there, but the people playing them didn't look like people there, here, or here. And it sounded good. It sounded really, really good. And it almost brought tears to my eyes of how beautiful it sounds. Church, how much more? That we have people who don't sound like people here. And we have people who don't look like people there. And we all struggle. And we all sound different. But praise God, because of the finished work of Christ, we say glory to God. That's the point. In church, it is so good that he is the head of the church because just as Teddy, I'm telling you, you could just, it was so weird that you could just see how connected they were. There was a trust on both ends. There was a trust there. They knew that his interpretation of Sibelius was the best interpretation of Sibelius they were ever going to get. 
So when he told them to play softly now, they did it. And he knew each of them. Hey, let me encourage you. Whatever you are going through right now, Jesus knows you. He knows you. He is there with you. Let me remind you of this, though. I don't always play my instrument perfectly. You don't always play your instrument perfectly. I didn't hear any mistakes, but I also don't know the music well enough to know if they messed up or not. I just know it sounded good. Church, listen to me. It's not about your performance. It's about his faithfulness. And there's never been a day he hasn't been faithful. And there will never be a day that he will not be faithful. And that means that there will never be a day where we don't trust our leader. It's so good. It's so good. You know what else that means? Is that whatever human tradition or philosophy you think is going to fix it or you are depending on, bless you, it means... It's not going to work. And his finished work is what gives us hope. So as we come to the last part of this text this morning, let's look at some more implications of what that means for us. This leads me to my third and my final point. Freedom to delight in our glorious hope. Let's read verse 20. This is so good. If you die with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you still live as if you were belonged to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Again, Paul is calling them, you are dead to these elements of this world. You are dead to this human tradition. Paul is reminding them they don't need anything else other than Christ. But you see, like, we can say that. We can say that Christ has the victory and Christ has fulfilled that. But what does that mean for us, right? Because those are just... Those are just truths that are kind of out there. How do we get them here in our lives? How, how do we live that out? Because we, we have to live out the implications of Christ's victory. With the power of the Spirit, we have to. Let's look at verse 21. And Paul, in 22, and Paul gives us a little idea. Verse 21, these teachers are telling them, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. It's a lot of don'ts, isn't it? That we, we all have that idea of when we first come to hear about religion, it's just like, oh, just don't do this, don't do that, but do this and don't do that, right? It's just a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts and a lot of like, bro, is this even fun? Like, am I even going to enjoy this? <clears throat> and that's what the Colossian teachers were pressing them with. Stay away from that, flee from this. What does Paul say in verse 22? All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish. By being used up. They're human commands and doctrine. So Paul is telling them, Yo, this is just coming from these heretical teachers. They're not from the word of God. What does Isaiah 48 tells us? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. The grass withers. The flowers fade. But the word of God remains forever. Paul wants them to focus on the word of God and what Christ has done for them. The true teaching. Remember the substance 
not the thing that will never last and it'll just perish. That can of green beans that your grandmother canned in like 1950, it's going to go bad one day, just so you know, right? It's, it's going to perish. But what, but what does he say in verse 23? <clears throat> all the, although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So they're doing all these things to curb self-indulgence. Right? They're trying to fix something in them that is broken. Church, don't you see the, the vicious cycle that they are, that they are uh, trying to spread in the Colossian church? Because they're promoting self-made religion, so it comes from man. False humility, because they are doing these things, they're like, they're like whitewashed tombs, as Jesus would have put it. Right? They're doing all these things and, and doing these things to their body. And, and it's false humility because they're probably thinking, oh, Poor pitiful me, I'm just punishing myself with severe treatment to the body. Well, what's the problem with that, though? Church, I don't think that we realize that we could probably answer that ourselves. They're already, they're trying to do what Jesus has already done for them. Let's just be honest with one another real quick. I'm not sure if you're there this morning, but I know that you've been there. Or I know that you may be there in the future. Because when I was reading it, I was like, man, what's wrong with them? Why don't they just trust what Christ has done? But I can remember those battles with sin that I had. Where it was that one thing. And I tried so many times to kill it by my own strength over and over. And I'd do okay for a couple of days or a few days. I'd do well for a week maybe a couple months, but then it comes back again and you commit that sin or whatever that looks like. And then you ask yourself, dang, am I even a Christian? Like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I beat this? That's what, that's what they are teaching, the Colossians. And what's wrong with that? It's because they're not focusing on what Christ has already done. Christ has defeated that for us. Christ has defeated and accomplished that for him. You see, they're they are pursuing a self-sanctification. Listen to what an author, Scott Hubbard, wrote. When we separate holiness from Christ himself, the pursuit of holiness inevitably becomes a mechanical or individual, individualistic solution to the spiritual equation of the effect of my brute will. They're not pursuing Jesus. They're not holding on to the head. You see, our holiness, or excuse me, our works, they're not a means of our holiness. It's not how we become holy, but it's an implication in outworking of the imparted holiness of Christ. And what I mean by imparted is that it was given to us. So our life goes from do's and don'ts. Now our life is to delight in the finished work of Christ. And churches, we bring this to a close. Let me offer one point of application to you. When you're laying in your bed right before you go to sleep tonight, 
and yourself or the enemy brings back to mind those sins that you committed last week that you haven't told nobody or last year that you haven't told nobody or whatever that looks like. Through the power of the Spirit. One, if you haven't told nobody, you need to tell somebody. Because just because Christ has won the victory for us, it doesn't mean that there aren't steps in, in, in confessing our sin to one another. That is how, hey, that is how we hold on to the head. Because we are real and we are honest with each other. So when it comes to confession of sin, it is scary. It's very scary. It's very scary. It is. But we know the grace that is still there. Because what does Romans 5, 8 tell you? Because Christ knew that we were sinners and he still died for us. So whenever those things come to mind, through the power of the Spirit, you must know that you are free in Christ and that there is no judgment for you. When the anxiety of your job or your future creeps into your mind tonight, you must know that you are free in Christ. And in conclusion, let me leave you with this. Church, we will never, ever, you will never, ever be able to present yourselves holy and righteous before God. Never. No matter what you do. I'll tell you what you can present, though. Our unrighteousness and our sin. That's what we present. And we need the holiness and the righteousness of someone else. And praise God. Praise God. That's exactly what Jesus is offering you this morning. This morning. He is offering his holiness and his righteousness. And you may be here and you may not be a believer this morning. You may not have trusted Christ yet. And you're walking through life. And you may not even be trying to curb your self-indulgence at all. You may be enjoying the things of this world. There's a reason that they are enjoyable. You may be trying to curb that with whatever guy or whatever girl, whatever job, whatever hobby that you have, whatever that may look like. You may be trying to, you may be doing the exact opposite. You may be trying to abstain from the, from the, the things of this world to be a, just a good person. Take Christ instead. Because all of the things that you are trying to do or trying not to do, it'll never be enough. You can never work your way into good standing with Christ. All of these things are but a mere shadow. But the substance is Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your word this morning, Lord. We are so thankful for your grace this morning, God. God, help us to realize the objective reality that we have that is based on your finished work through your son, Jesus, God. And how great that you are is when Genesis 3 happened, and Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Jesus has always been plan A. You are not surprised. You are not scared. You are not worried. God, we are so thankful that from the beginning of time, Jesus has always been the plan. God, help us to love and to worship you. God, I pray if there is someone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, God, and the beauty of the fact that you lived, that Jesus lived a sinless life, and died a sinner's death 
so that we could delight in our glorious hope. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.